and turn with you in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 19. And uh, my plan is to cover verses 20 and 21 on the first Sunday in December, finish first half of Ephesians, and then we'll take a little break to ponder the glory of the Christmas season. And after the first of the year, we'll resume our study in Ephesians and pick up with chapter 4. I said before that Ephesians kind of breaks down in two very natural uh, divisions. Uh, there is a, a theological section we've been dealing with in chapters 1 through 3, and there are very practical uh, section in chapters 4 through 6. And so when we pick up with chapter 4 after the first of the year, we'll be dealing with some very practical uh, matters regarding the Christian life. And the first three chapters have dealt a lot with salvation and how we come to salvation, how we come to faith. So that's kind of where we are and what my plan is. We, this morning, pick up with verse 14 of chapter 3. This is God's word. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may, able to be, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And again, that's the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask again for your blessing upon uh, this very important time, a time where together as your people we spend uh, minutes uh, together in your word, looking at it, reading it, studying it, pondering it, meditating on it. We pray, O oh Father, that you would give us grace today as we look at this particular portion of your word. And I pray that it would be like the sword of the Spirit that pierces our hearts and our souls, dividing between the joint and the marrow, showing us our need and meeting that need pointing us especially more and more to Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, every Sunday morning during our uh, morning worship service, we have the, the pastoral prayer. And it's called the pastoral prayer, not just because the pastor prays it, uh, but because it is to be pastoral in nature. That is, it's a prayer for the congregation, a prayer for your spiritual and for your physical needs. A prayer for the things that have come to my attention that weigh on your hearts and your minds. A prayer for God's blessing on our worship, on our fellowship, on our service opportunities. A prayer for God to use us as a congregation in the further expansion of the gospel. It's an important part of our worship every Lord's Day. And you should come out of the pastoral prayer feeling uh, covered in and blessed by prayer. 
What we find in our text this morning, I think, is something of Paul's pastoral prayer for these believers in this church in Ephesus. You know, Paul was many things, but one of the things Paul was, was a man of prayer. In almost every letter that Paul wrote, he would tell those to whom he was writing that he was praying for them, and many times what he was praying for. And that's what he's, he's doing here in this particular section of Ephesians chapter 3. And, and it's clear as you read through this prayer, Paul was particularly concerned about their spiritual needs. Now, it's not that he wasn't concerned about their physical needs, but Paul knew that their spiritual needs were most important. You know, so often we focus so much on our physical needs, I'm afraid that we don't spend as much time praying for our spiritual needs. It, it is the physical needs, of course, that are the most pressing, but it is our spiritual needs that are the most important. And, and Paul was clearly concerned about the spiritual needs of those for whom he prayed. And so I want us to look at this prayer that Paul prays for these believers in Ephesus. This is actually the second prayer of Paul that we have in, in Ephesians. Back in chapter 1, you might remember in verse 16, he told them, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And then he went to, to talk about some of the things that he was praying for. And uh, also there, it's a focus upon spiritual needs, especially he prayed there they would grow in their knowledge of Christ. Now, before I get into the prayer itself, I want to remind you of last week's sermon. Uh, the sermon last week was entitled, God's Great Plan. And it centered upon what we find in verse 11 about the eternal purpose of God. And remember, I went through the Bible. I went through several books of the Bible, looking at different passages in the Bible, where it clearly shows that God has an eternal purpose and plan for this world that he has made and for the people who are a part of it, and that God is unfolding that plan every day. Now, many Christians believe that truth is a deterrent to prayer. They say, well, if God has a plan, if God has this eternal purpose, and God is unfolding that plan and that purpose every day, then why pray? What I want you to see this morning is that didn't keep Paul from praying. In fact, it encouraged Paul to pray. I said last week that the fact that God has a purpose and a plan actually gives us greater boldness and confidence as we pray. Because we know that God will answer our prayers according to His eternal purpose and plan, which is always best and right. But what about this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3? First, I want you to see Paul's attitude in prayer, or his attitude as he prayed. Paul's attitude, whenever he prayed, was an attitude of abject humility. And folks, that really is the first and foremost attitude each of us should have. 
when we come to God in prayer. You know, Jesus told the parable of the uh, Pharisee and the, and the tax collector. Both went into the temple to pray at the same time. And, and that parable shows us, I think, this important point. You remember how the, the difference in the way the two men came to the temple to pray? The Pharisee proudly lifted up his eyes toward heaven. And he said to God, Oh God, I thank you. I'm not like these other people here who've come to pray. Especially this tax collector over here. I thank you I'm so much better than they are. And I thank you that I've earned the right to come to pray to you. And deserve for you to hear me when I pray. The tax collector on the other hand. Seemed embarrassed to be there. Couldn't even lift his eyes. Look down to the floor. Beat his hands upon his chest. And all he could mutter. Was God. Be merciful to me. The sinner. You see. He knew he had no right to come on his own. He had no right to expect God to answer his prayer. Except for the kindness of God himself. He had no merit. To earn or deserve God's hearing his prayer. And that's the way we should all come to pray. Broken. Unworthy. Humble. That's the way Paul prayed. Look at verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. The act of bowing or the act of kneeling shows a sense of reverence and humility before the Lord. We don't kneel probably as often as we ought to when we pray. Years ago when I was at Covenant College, uh, some of us would be or want to be preachers. Uh, formed a little club and uh, had to have a had to have a faculty sponsor to have a campus organization at Covenant College back in the day. And so we went to uh, one of the Bible professors. His name was Henry, Henry Krabendam. Now Henry was about six feet seven. Dutch, heavy Dutch accent. Very godly man. And we went to Dr. Krabendam and asked if he would be our uh, sponsor for our little wannabe preachers club. And uh, he agreed on one condition. That was one morning every week on Friday morning we would meet with him at 6 o'clock in the morning to pray. Now, as we prayed, another requirement was that we be on our knees in prayer. I can still remember it, this isn't, folks, this isn't even my notes. I just got off on this. But uh, I learned a lot about prayer from Henry, Henry Krabadon. Because I've already mentioned two aspects of prayer. One is humility. And the other is boldness. One does not exclude the other. Coming broken, humble before the Lord does not mean you don't come with a sense of confidence and boldness to him. Krabadon would get on his knees and he would start on one side of the road and when he was through he'd be on the other side of the road having literally crawled on his knees begging the Lord uh, to hear and to answer his prayer 
the most amazing praying time I've ever been in in my life. But there is this to be this sense of humility before the Lord as we get on our knees before Him. And, and I want you to notice in verse 14, uh, kind of to, to, again, kind of set the context. The first three words of verse 14 in my text are for this reason. Now you might remember I said when we started chapter 3, those are the same words we find in verse 1, for this reason. And what we think is Paul started to pray back in verse 1. Then through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was kind of diverted and began to recount other things about the Gentiles being included in salvation. And now he's really picking up with where he was back in verse 1, if you kind of follow my train of thought. And so where we are in verse 14 really goes back to chapter 2, where he says, For this reason, or because of these things that he just taught in Ephesians 2 about God causing those of us who were spiritually dead to become spiritually alive, salvation being all of grace, not of any human merit, that, that even the, the faith that we use to receive God's gift of salvation is a gift that God gives to us. And, and, the, and God in His goodness includes not just the Jews, but Gentiles. It, like us, in His plan of salvation, Paul says, for this reason, because of these things, because they're true, I bow my knees before the Father. And then, then he also prays with the attitude of being a part of a family. Notice that he dresses uh, God as Father in his prayer. I bow my knees before the Father. And he goes on in verse 15 to say, From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He's clearly talking about the families of believers in heaven and on earth. Those who've already received their heavenly reward and those who are still on earth. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family derives its name. You see, we pray in a family context, don't we? We pray to our Heavenly Father and we pray with and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Of course, that's the way Jesus prayed. Whenever He prayed... He came praying to His Father, addressing God as Father. And that's the way He taught us to pray. His disciples said, teach us to pray. And He said, when you pray, you pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. So there should always be this sense of family when we pray. Then secondly, I want you to see the content of Paul's prayer. And that will take us to the end today. Just two points. Paul's attitude in prayer and then the content of this prayer. Now again, the focus of Paul's prayer is on spiritual things, not material things. I'm afraid the Thanksgiving season shows us, it shows me, let me personalize it, it shows me how misfocused I am so many times. You know, if I were going to write down a list of things for which I was thankful, I imagine 80% of them would be material things physical things family food house clothes friends 
when really we ought to be most thankful for the spiritual blessing and gifts that God gives to us. And which we find in our, again in our text today where Paul focuses there. Notice the things for which he prays for them. One is he prays for their spiritual strength. Paul's told them in verse 17 how he was praying that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Basic prayer there is for God to give these believers power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit. Now, we Presbyterians get kind of nervous sometimes when people start talking about power. (laughs) We conjure up all ideas of people doing things that sedate and thoughtful Presbyterians just aren't very comfortable with. We shouldn't run from the idea of spiritual power. We need the strength and the power that God gives in order to resist temptation, to choose what is right over what is wrong, to deal with whatever situation God puts before us to witness to unbelievers. We need that power. And notice the power does come from the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not sometimes, I think, how we conjure Him or think of Him. He's not just like this, the one who puts spiritual fertilizer on our lives so that we'll bear spiritual fruit. The Holy Spirit is He's a spirit of power. The Holy Spirit's the one who energizes us, who gives us the ability and the strength to, to press on when, when life is hard. To deal with issues of, of life that God brings us to, to resist the, the powerful temptations that, that come at us. It's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to do that. You know, John says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And we have that power living within us. In fact, that is part of the definition of a Christian, isn't it? Paul said in Romans 8, that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ living in you, you don't belong to Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And He's not just there to take up residence. He's not a squatter. He is your helper. And the very power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in your heart and in your life. It's not a matter of Paul praying that they would have the Holy Spirit. Again, that's the definition of who a Christian is. It's that they would understand and realize and experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. A second thing for which he prays is they would experience the reality of Christ in their lives. Look at the first part of verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now again, Paul can't be talking about the fact of Christ dwelling in their hearts. He's talking about the experience of it. That the fact that Christ dwells in the hearts and lives of believers is a given. He's praying here that 
They would experience more fully what it means to have the reality of Christ in their lives. Now, to dwell here, the, the Greek word that Paul uses in verse 17 means to inhabit or to reside or literally to make oneself at home. Christ makes himself at home in the life of a believer. In Colossians 1, Paul refers to Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think of that. Think of that. Christ, the hope of glory, is in your life. Look, we live so often such defeated Christian lives. That's because we try to live them on our own. Because we try to muster the strength and the power and the ability to do it ourselves when it's a given that we have Christ and the Holy Spirit in us to help us. And we need to understand that. We need to realize that. We need to avail ourselves of the power. That's what Paul is praying for them here. They would know the power of the Holy Spirit. They'd experience the fullness of Christ in their lives. I want you to notice before we go to the third thing of which he prayed is Paul's already mentioned the Trinity in, in this prayer. He said, I bow my knees before the Father. I, I pray that you'd have the power of the Holy Spirit and that you'd know the reality of the presence of Christ in your life. Still another thing, the third thing he prayed for that we find at the end of verse 17 is they would be rooted and grounded in love. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. We just can't, in the Christian life, we just can't overestimate the value and the importance of love. If you're going to boil the gospel down to one word, that would be it. It'd be love. What does the Bible say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What does the Bible say? Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. What does the Bible say? But God demonstrates his own love for us and that Christ died for us notice how Paul puts it here his prayers that you be rooted and grounded in love his prayer is that these believers in Ephesus would find their, their solid footing their grounding and their understanding and their awareness of the love of God for them it gives us a picture of being steadfast and solid in our faith, doesn't it? You know, the, the strength of a tree depends upon its root system. I'm sure you've all seen a, a tree that was blown over by the wind. I'm not talking about a tree that snapped in two. I'm talking about a tree that was uprooted. And you can see the, you can see the roots above the ground. Why did that tree uproot. It's because the roots of that tree were not deep enough and were not strong enough to hold that tree steady 
when the storms and the winds came. And that's the image Paul is giving us here. We need to pray for one another. Then we'll be rooted and grounded in love and the unconditional love of God. Nothing gives you greater security than knowing that someone loves you unconditionally. And when you fear there's someone you love or someone who's close to you no longer loves you, that gives you a deep sense of insecurity and fear. Some of the most desperate people over the years, some of the most desperate people who come to my office are people who think they're like their spouse no longer love them. They're insecure. They're fearful. They're weak. But when you know and you're confident in the unconditional love of another person for you, that gives you this deep sense of security. And that's what Paul is saying here. Your sense of the unconditional love of God for you, it enables you to be rooted and grounded in your faith. And you can know that whatever comes your way when the, when the winds and the storms of life come howling your way, you don't have to fear being uprooted because you're grounded solidly in the love of God. Still another thing for which he prays for these believers is they would gain a a deeper insight into spiritual realities and to spiritual truth. Look at verse 18. And so you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth It's easy to see there, isn't it, that Paul is describing four different directions. The breadth is how wide something is. The length is how long something is. The height is how high something is. The depth is how deep something is. And and there he is praying that their spiritual understanding would be to the heights and to the depths and the breadth and the length and the fullness of God and His and His truth. You know, so often we're limited, and we limit ourselves many times in how much we grasp and know and understand about God and about His Word and about the full ramifications of saving faith. You know, Paul talked about those who were babes. How many Christians stay babes? We ought not to want to stay in the first grade spiritually. We ought to to want to get to graduate school. We we don't want to stay at the starting line. We we want to get to the finish line. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. That's partly why I do what I do. 
and do it the way I do it. I want to have the same testimony the Apostle Paul had. When he, you know, Paul was talked to the very elders of this very church in Ephesus. It's found in Acts chapter 20. We won't go there. But in Acts chapter 20, he addresses the Ephesian elders. And he says two very interesting things, things in, in Acts 20 to these elders. He told them, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable to you. Then he went on to say, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Folks, that's how we grow. That's how we mature. That's how we come to the, the fullness of the knowledge of God. You see, gospel preaching is not just telling the plan of salvation, as important as that is. Gospel preaching is preaching the whole counsel of God so that God's people might not just come to saving faith, but grow in their faith and in their knowledge of God. That's what Paul's praying for here. And then the last thing he prays for. It's found in verse 19. He really repeats some of the things for which he's already prayed. It is that they would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, and that they would be filled up to all the fullness of God. Really a summary of his prayers, isn't it? I pray that you would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Paul's prayer is that the love of Christ and the knowledge of God would not just be a segment or a part of their lives. It would consume their lives. So often we tend to compartmentalize, don't we? We have a compartment for this and a compartment for this and a compartment for this and one of those compartments is our compartment for God and for our spiritual lives. And there are a lot of Christians who take God off the shelf on Sunday morning. And they put him back in his compartment on Sunday afternoon. That's no way to live the Christian life. See, we don't want God just to be a part of our life. We want God to be the whole of our lives. We want him to consume us. That we would literally, as Paul says, be filled up. Filled up to all the fullness of God. He's not just a piece of our lives here, but He's the fullness of our lives. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says the love of Christ controls us. And that's why the fullness of God is to be, for us, it's to control our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. What a prayer. Isn't it a great prayer? that Paul prayed for these Ephesian Christians. You know, if you don't know anything else to pray for someone else, why don't you pray this? Just go to Ephesians chapter 3. Hey, you can pray that for me. If you don't know how to pray for me, you pray this. Pray that I would know the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Pray that I would 
experience the reality of the fullness of Christ in me. Pray that I would be rooted and grounded in the love of God for me. Pray that I would know the heights, the depths, and the length, breadth of spirituality. Pray that I know the fullness of Christ and the fullness of God and His love for me. You know how to pray for someone. You pray this. I promise. It'll be a blessing to them and to you. Pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Paul's testimony is witness of the power of prayer. Help us to pray for each other. Not just about the physical needs, but about the spiritual needs. That we would know the love of Christ. We would know your love for us. We would know all that we need to know to be the people you've called us to be, to be filled up with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.